Hello and welcome to Spectator Radio. I'm Kate Andrews and I'll be your host for today's discussion on the future of sustainability in the hospitality sector. Fast food giant McDonald's has released their 2021 sustainability plan for change and their pledge to reach net zero by 2040 comes with a host of questions. Will the costs increase prices of their products? Can a fast food outlet like McDonald's really be sustainable when they sell some of the highest volumes of beef burgers around the world? Are plant-based options the answer? And will their customers agree? To discuss all this and more, I'm joined by Beth Hart, the Vice President of Supply Chain and Brand Trust at McDonald's, Duncan Baker, MP for North Norfolk and member of the Environmental Audit Committee, and Giles Gibbons, a sustainability consultant who is the founder and CEO of Good Business. This podcast is kindly sponsored by McDonald's. So Giles, Beth, and Duncan, thanks for joining me. It's great to have you all on the podcast. Giles, I'm going to start with you. Can you give us a brief overview of the ways in which it's challenging for the fast food industry to be green? From one-time packaging to supply chains, presumably going green is a challenge. Absolutely. I mean, the greatest challenge is their size, in a sense. And that's really the size of the challenge and and the size of the organisation to create the needed change in order to reach net zero is a huge task and not one to be underestimated. Hmm. So Beth, as Giles says, they're no easy task. So tell us about McDonald's latest plan for sustainability. We're really excited to launch our plan for change this week, believe it or not. And it is a very lofty aspiration. We aim to achieve net zero globally by 2050 and net zero for the UK and Ireland by 2040. And as Giles said, our scale can pose us the greatest challenge but in addition it does give us access to considerable resources and expertise to be able to probably have a greater effect and hopefully a more positive effect than others. Duncan it seems as though people care more about sustainability and their corporates being more sustainable than they did 10 years ago. Would you agree from conversations that you're having with constituents? Without doubt I'm the new MP in North Norfolk, although not quite so new anymore as the last few years have shot by. And it dominates my inbox every single week, whether it's going to schools, whether it's just general correspondence, whether it's people that stop me in the street. And it's why I joined the Environmental Audit Select Committee, the highest select committee in in Parliament dealing with environmental matters and speak about it week in, week out. The public's consciousness to addressing the environment has I think probably in a much shorter period than even 10 years in, I would say in the last three or four years, has been meteoric. And it's absolutely right that it is, because it will dominate the political agenda for the next 30 years. Giles, what's your view on that from a business consultant perspective? Is there still a difference in opinion, say, ranging across regions or across food sectors? Or is everybody more or less joined up in the idea that things are going to change? It's just a question of how and when. Yes, I think that the food sector is probably the most fascinating when we think about climate change, because, you know, as so many times we hear that climate change is a sort of middle class concern and, and that they're the ones who are sort of who are making the biggest noise. But what's been so interesting, as Duncan says, in the last three to four years, that, that really this is across the board, all the polling and, and research that we do with companies and brands shows that there really there's no argument anymore about climate change there's no argument about citizens wanting to see change i think whether that then relates through to 
what people are purchasing when they go to the shops or buy a meal is where that always lags behind opinion. Opinion can move, purchasing power takes time. And to be honest, it takes organisations with the size and scale of McDonald's to lead consumers in that direction, find the solutions to enable people to eat a more low-carbon diet. And so I think if we just sit here and wait for the consumer, I think we'll be waiting too long. And I think we, we need government, we need business, we, we need civil society to move that discussion forward and enable those changes to happen. And I think then consumers will support that in what they buy and, and what they eat. Beth, some might question how far McDonald's, as one of the biggest companies across the world, whose core business is fast food based on beef, can go in the drive for sustainability without compromising your brand. We don't need to compromise our brand to make it sustainable. No doubt the plan for change is a huge challenge, but we've put our plan and our commitment out there in the public domain in order to set out our stall to indicate what we intend to do and what we have confidence to be able to do. A big business like ours, putting that commitment out there, does act not just as an instigator of change, but a call to action to our partners, our suppliers, people who currently work with us, people who could work with us in the future, to start to build a sustainable model for the most successful fast food brand in the world. We don't believe it poses us a threat because it's just the direction of travel that, quite frankly, every single business will need to take. And sure, some things are going to be incredibly difficult because the blueprint for the perfect future isn't quite written yet. But we believe that we can play a key role in helping build that architecture with the resources that we've got access to and our incredible convening power as a major global brand to be able to bring the very best brains together, to be able to mobilize our resources within our business, within our supply chain, across our restaurants, and also our customers. You know, if you look at the plan for change, there is a considerable role for the McDonald's customers to play in really participating and becoming part of our sustainable future. It won't be easy, <laughs> but we believe it's not impossible. And Beth, is it possible for McDonald's to go through this transformation without passing the inevitable cost of going green onto the consumer? Inevitable cost of going green is a phrase that we hear quite often. I guess is that if you compare what we do today, completely and utterly made as sustainable as it can be with the knowledge that we have right now. Our plan is set out over the course of 10 20 years, some of those elements, some of those commitments. And that is to give us time to evolve our business strategy, evolve our offer in a way that enables our customers to still enjoy McDonald's exactly the same way that they do now today, and maybe even more so in the future. But part of that enjoyment of the McDonald's brand is the fact that we are accessible to so many in an affordable way. So that has to be part of our strategy. So I'm just thinking of some of the commitments. You know, we're building our first net zero restaurant in Market Drayton in November. Now, that'll be a prototype. So, of course, there'll be an awful lot of elements of that prototype that will be the very first of their kind. When anything is the very first of its kind, we've got cladding that is made out of old white goods. We've got concrete slabs, well, concrete and in inverted comma slabs that is made out of old plastic bottles. You know, all of those technologies are new. They are first to market and therefore they incur a present cost. But we have the scale to scale things to make them more affordable and accessible. 
we also have the scale and the ability to open source some of the intelligence that we build and capability that we build so others can benefit others can participate and all of the solutions become more economically viable so we believe economics are a core part of sustainability too it has to be something that is scalable and when we mean scalable we mean world leading scalable or globally scalable that should ultimately enable us to be able to manage the economics in a way that enables our customers to still access the McDonald's brand in the way that they do today. Duncan, just last year, Boris Johnson declared that Britain had an obesity problem. Is it not somewhat contradictory for the government to support fast food industries with their sustainability standards if they actually want people to eat less fast food overall? It's a good question from somebody that's just run the London Marathon on Sunday. Oh, congratulations. And and lost a little bit of weight in doing so. Look, I think it's really interesting. Before I was preparing for this podcast, my brother-in-law is a potato farmer in North Norfolk. And he farms about 650, or he's growing about 650 acres of potatoes. And I uh, sent him a text and I said, I don't suppose you grow any potatoes for McDonald's, do you? And he said, yes, I do. So I gave him a call and I said, yeah, I bet they don't get involved with you. There's no sustainability. There's no uh, interest. Is that he said, you wouldn't believe, Duncan, you know, actually, as a business, they are fantastic. They really, really do go the extra mile to speak to us. And I can see that straight away, Beth's eyes are lighting up about this. But, you know, actually, I thought that's really encouraging that they had bought them wheel mark eradicators to enable the tractors when they are spraying to enable the water to be going in the right places and and not create too much runoff. They've provided them with grants to help them install drip irrigation so it's more accurate and helps soil structures. So I think even though we're dealing with fast food companies here, there is still an element of people adhering to sustainability throughout the entire supply chain and process. And I think that's actually quite important because in every facet of life, we can generate some criticism of what companies are doing. But actually, it is certainly the case here that we seem to have a business that is addressing its obligations to also tackle net zero. And I think that's pretty impressive. Duncan, a lot of people will be listening and thinking that's all good and well. And indeed, a lot of our listeners will be delighted to hear that a corporate is using private money to invest in supply chains to make them more sustainable rather than, say, asking for a handout. But that's not really the core of the question here. Those potatoes are still being fried and heavily salted and served up. It's high calorie. Surely there is something that's contradictory here about talking about sustainability for fast food and also the prime minister saying we got to cut down on our intake of fast food altogether. Well, you wouldn't be surprised to hear me as a conservative saying I believe in freedom of choice and personal responsibility. And I was brought up on that mantra. We have had fast food for many, many years. There will always be fast food. And if people want to exercise their choice in eating it and possibly at moderation, that is up to them. And I think we should be allowed to do that as a person who is fairly fit and active. And as I say, from my marathon exploits, I have not been eating very much fast food over the last six or seven months. But I did enjoy McDonald's on the way back from the London Marathon, I can tell you. But I think we should be allowed to have that choice. We don't want to be in this state where we are completely mollycoddled on what we can and what we can't actually do. I I think most people would shy away from that. But yes, there is always the possibility of a gentle handling to actually try and improve our lifestyle, improve what we do. I'm also the son of a dentist, 
And he always waxes lyrical about fluoride being put in the water stream. Now, some people go bananas when I talk about this. Actually, it's improved the quality of children's teeth in the water streams where it's been put for many, many decades. And so I think there's another case where actually sometimes you do need the state to intervene a little bit just to try and ensure that people's health is at a priority. Beth, what are your thoughts on this? And is McDonald's McPlant burger going to convince the government that actually it's a healthy alternative? You know, health and fast food is a perennial point for discussion. From a McDonald's perspective, you can see that offering our customers a balanced choice is absolutely the heart of our plan for change. You know, we are a food business. You know, people come to us to buy food. You've heard how important our agricultural supply chain is to us so that that's the healthfulness and the sustainability of that supply chain. We're also rigorously governed by nutritional parameters that we instill ourselves. We publicly communicate the nutritional information for absolutely everything in our menu so our customers can make an informed choice. And we have such a rigorous controlled way of making everything and assembling everything that we can tell our customers with a level of confidence exactly what they are likely to consume. You will see over time that we will continue to offer our customers a broader, more balanced choice, and we will move with the times. McPlant is a new choice. It's not a health initiative. You know, we were not first into plant protein, and we are rarely first into anything. You know, something has to be a bit of a mega trend in order for us to respond at scale to it. But the fact that we have developed a global brand in McPlant, the fact that we have developed a 100% vegan product with a unique first-to-market vegan cheese that was three years in development, shows that we were committed to do it well, committed to do it to a high standard. And McPlant is currently in trial at the moment, I think in 50 restaurants around the Coventry region, with a view that we will launch it in January. And that's because we believe that we have to have very rigorous processes in place in our restaurant to ensure that we can deliver a 100% vegan product in a restaurant that cooks meat as well. So when we do something, we tend to do it very precisely, absolutely properly and absolutely a scale. And that does mean we can drive considerable change when we get it right. When it comes back to nutrition and health, we believe very much in balanced choice. We are also, though, looking at, you can see gently when you're in our restaurants that when you're looking for a soft drink, you're maybe motivated to choose products that are lower sugar or lower calorie, but you're motivated to. It is still your choice, ultimately, what you elect to buy when you're in a McDonald's restaurant. Giles, back to the point of sustainability, you are an advocate for something called regenerative farming, by which livestock can be farmed in a way which benefits the environment. That seems uh, counterintuitive. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I think regenerative farming, which is you know still very much at its early stages, shows that you can take out a lot of the inputs, the kind of chemical inputs that you need to put into land, if you have a mixture of animal farming and grains in the same farm. And actually, you know, in truth, the, the sort of industrialised farming, the sort of second half of the 20th century was, was all about, really sort of took away all of that mixed farming. And I think what we're seeing now is when you have, you know, single crop intensive farming, you need to uh, mechanically put so much back into the soil in order for it to regenerate and be able to provide the crop. 
And by having much more rotational and mixed farms, you can do a lot of that more naturally. Now, obviously, this is, you know, not at the scale, regenerative farming is not at the scale that can sort of solve the demand that McDonald's would have. But I do think that a lot of the learnings and insights that are coming from regenerative farms at the moment um, will really help in terms of moving the larger supply chains to a new new type of farming um, uh, over the next 10, 15 years. So it's not like, right, we're not going to use those and we're just going to use those. I think it is about learning, integrating it in and changing core farming practice through the insights and learning that are coming out from regenerative farmers. And Beth, I understand that McDonald's is currently undergoing a trial project based on regenerative farming. So how is that working out? We have a program of regenerative farming investment experimentation, sort of pioneering, but at scale and regenerative models in the UK, in France, and also across our American supply chain. One of the beauties of the McDonald's system is that we can test and learn in a number of markets around the world, share best practice, and then deliver change at scale. In the UK, we're working in partnership with FII Farms, where we have converted their entire farm to a regenerative beef system. That pilot is now two years old, and we are measuring a number of metrics to determine what we can learn to enable us to be able to start to build what a regenerative model at scale could and should look like. And that includes sustainability ethics, but also economics. How do we ensure that this ultimate solution becomes economically viable for the farmers, growers and producers in our supply chain? And how do we reduce not just a blueprint, but a toolkit to enable and motivate them to be able to change and move with the times? Duncan, you represent a rural constituency and many farmers in North Norfolk. Do you worry about that shift to sustainability measures coming at the expense of British farmers? Yeah, I think it's a concern because agriculture is seeing some enormous changes that are going through. I mean, not least the new agriculture bill and the implementation of the ELMS policy means that the way that they have been traditionally paid through subsidies is changing. And of course, that does naturally give some caution for them, a bit of apprehension. And it will take a little bit of time just to see how that all settles down. I think the bottom line is our farmers have been custodians of the land ever since time began. They don't really need to be told that actually now, here you go chaps, you're all going to be starting to do things in a different way and you're going to be protecting our environment and getting paid for it. They've been doing that and they've been doing it extremely well for many, many years. I think it is now just a fact of life that they will be paid in a different way by improving water courses and improving soil qualities and all the other things that we know that they're doing. But I think what we will have to wait and see is just what the financial impact is on how they farm and operate. And we might be in a situation where the larger farms that was spoken about by Giles, they are food producers. And if you operate a farm that is under a certain level of of acreage, that very much they become environmental stewardage schemes far more than they ever have been before. And farming diversifies. Now, that could be a concern to some people, or they will become very niche operators growing particularly high-end beef or such like in certain areas of the country. So I think it is a little bit of a moment in time where we are going to just watch what happens in the next few years. Beth, can you briefly talk us through how McDonald's plans to improve its footprint in packaging and plastics? 
Yes, you know, we're a fast food business and we sell food to take away. And a significant proportion of our business now is drive through and delivery, increasingly since customers' behaviours have changed post-COVID. So packaging is a big part of the McDonald's offer and we need to get it right. And we've made a commitment that all of our customer packaging will be made from renewable, recycled or certified sources and designed to be recyclable or compostable by 2024. It's not that far away, but it's worth noting that that applies to 80% of our packaging already. And I don't know if you noticed, but recently our Happy Meal toys, we've moved away from hard plastic. We've used that hard plastic to manufacture play equipment, which is used in Ronald McDonald House Charities. And we now have 100% recycled or recyclable Happy Meal toys. But you will see a profound change in the packaging that we offer and use our customers. And then finally, we are at the moment trialing reusables. So we're in partnership with Loop looking at a reusable coffee cup. That creates quite a lot of challenges for our customers. We're asking them to change their behavior. Everything I've described to date enables people to behave in exactly the same way as they do now. We're just making it cleaner and greener and easier for everyone to do the right thing. Reusables mean our customers need to engage with us differently and behave differently. And that may prove to be a bigger challenge. Giles, at the Sustainable Restaurant Association, you give kitchens a score on their sustainability efforts. So based on what you've just heard from Beth, what score would you give McDonald's? We have actually rated McDonald's a number of years ago now. I think it was probably 2017 when we rated a whole shopping centre and McDonald's was one of the organisations that was being rated. And they got a one-star rating. So if the base level is no stars and the top level is three stars, they've got a one star. And actually, many of the policies are excellent and way above that. But I think we'd put it in, it's a good start and there's a long way to go, which I think you're hearing. There's a plan and I think we can see those changes coming through. And at scale, that, that is incredibly exciting. Can I just come back on a couple of points? I'd love to pick up Duncan's point about farmers, because I think farmers are good people, but I think the system that they were in was not a good system. And therefore, the unintended consequences of that have meant that they have become, to sort of excuse the phrase, but sort of climate villains, not through their own desires, but I think through the ways in which they were paid to do the things that they were required to do. And we need farmers to, you know, actually become the the climate saviours. We need the way in which they farm to be able to capture carbon, not emit it. And that is absolutely possible. And we need this new system to be able to support them in actually that we can't look to trees to be the solution for capturing all the carbon in the world. There just isn't enough land. We have to have agricultural land to deliver that carbon capture. And farmers, therefore, need to be the answer to that. And we need systems and incentives to enable them to do that. And that's not just government. That takes businesses as well to work with them to develop the systems in order that that carbon can be captured and that they can actually be part of the solution rather than the problem. And all of that is absolutely possible. And I believe every farmer I speak to (laughs) wants to be part of that and will be, I believe, especially if the government gets its policies correct in the next year or so. And I think that the likes of McDonald's working with them to achieve that is also, it it is this combined effort. 
And then I think we will get to a very different future than the farming that we saw in the back end of the 20th century. Duncan, feel free to respond to some of those points about farming. I also want to ask you about the eyebrows that Boris Johnson has raised over the past few weeks in the business sector. I think that's putting it mildly. But at COP26 in Glasgow next month, sort of the centerpiece, one might say, of this government's agenda, do you expect the Prime Minister to put pressure on more businesses to commit to their own sustainability goals? Well, yes. I mean, COP26 is, I mean, the first thing to do is what is it? Because I think a lot of people hear it and they don't necessarily recognise exactly what it's actually there for and what it will actually achieve. And I think the first thing to actually say is that, you know, we really do have a position now on the world stage to send that signal that we are committed to working with all countries and joining forces, much as what was just now said with other companies and people and civil society, to make sure that we are driving climate change. And we're at the very forefront of that. And certainly we want to make sure that phasing out of coal, curtailing deforestation, which very nicely comes back to much of the conversations we've had, but also other conversations such as speeding up the switch to EVs and and encouraging investment in renewables. We have to get other countries in the world to get on board with that. And my issue that I have at the moment is that actually the UK is doing a great deal. It's doing a great deal more than most countries around the world. And the facts speak for themselves. We've decarbonised at 44% since 1990, growing the economy in that period of time and have been the fastest in the G20. And we've set more far-reaching targets beyond that. But quite frankly, if we don't get America, Australia, China, I mean, America are Johnny come lately to the party, but at least they're now here. But if we don't get China to play ball with this, and we don't even know whether their president will turn up to the talks, then we are a minnow on the world stage. We may might lead with initiatives of what we are doing, but without those countries also playing ball and decarbonising at the rate that we are doing, then much of the work of what we're doing will pale into insignificance. And I know that not many MPs are really making that point, but I think it has to be made. And the mainstream media criticises all day long about what we're not doing without any focus on what we actually are doing. I mean, you look at Germany. Germany has not managed to cut running power stations through coal. We have. So I think there's a lot of positives in there, but I think COP26 is is hopefully going to be the game-changing stance. And I don't want it sort of derailed by a lot of criticism about the government. I think we actually need to work together on the world stage because this isn't just a singular what's each country doing. We have to tackle this from a global position. Beth, from countries to companies, is there a particular reason that McDonald's has not joined the Zero Carbon Forum, which monitors the progress for other competitors who have joined, for example, KFC or Pizza Hut? I would love to come back on a number of points, but may I start with that one? We have not joined any public forums until we have a net zero commitment in the public domain. It felt rather disingenuous to sign up to forums prior to being absolutely clear about what our commitment was and being confident that we could deliver on our commitment. 
And therefore, as you can see on Monday, we've put our commitment in the public domain locally, net zero by 2040, and globally, net zero by 2050. So that paints a picture of the UK and Ireland market playing a pioneering role in building a blueprint for the global McDonald's system. You know, of course, we will now be looking to collaborate across sector, across our supply chain. Quite frankly, net zero isn't a competitive issue. It's an issue and a challenge that will require collaboration across all aspects of society, industry and supply chain. And we will be engaging with multiple forums, multiple research projects, and indeed we are already. But that's why you haven't seen us as part of forums in the public domain, because we hadn't quite reached a clear agreement within our business and issued a public statement of intent. Once you've done that, you can sign up with authenticity and genuine commitment and the resources to do the right thing. So I guess it, it may have felt like a controversial point. It was certainly something that was on our minds, but was not something that had held us back. From a farmer perspective, I guess it's worth noting that when you're a food business, agricultural supply chains are incredibly important, especially when I look at this through from a UK and Ireland perspective. We have sourced exclusively British and Irish beef for the last over the last 10 years, free range eggs for 22 years now. We source organic British fresh milk that we use across our business. The majority of our McFries are made from British potatoes. So, you know, we are a local sourcer from enormously important agricultural supply chains. And as you heard from Duncan, we actually engage not just with our manufacturers, but right back to our farmers on farm and put in place infrastructure and funding and support to enable them, A, to meet our current standards, but to come on the journey with us to be more sustainable in the future. We genuinely have no interest in leaving any farmer behind. We have a vested interest in the success of the British agricultural sector. That's why we're engaged with the Prince's Countryside Fund on the Farmers Hardship Fund and its rural development training because we can see the value in the total farming system being successful. Again, sounds very lofty and not something that we'd intend to do on our own. So collaboration is absolutely key. I also just wanted to come back on the point regarding the Sustainable Restaurant Association rating. I wasn't aware of that, so that's new news to me. I think you did mention that it was 2017. So just going back through the history books, 2017 was when we announced our scale for good globally. And that was the first time we as a business put science-based targets commitments in the public domain. We were the first global restaurant group to put commitments out there. And indeed, our plan for change is building on that. And that's what gives us the confidence to be able to deliver that. So hugely disappointed to hear that we rated at such a low level. And probably worth noting that we do engage with and are collaborating with other members of your initiative in order to look at and share best practice. Big challenge for us is, compared to a lot of the other members of the Sustainable Restaurant Association, we're really big. So many of them can talk about the one farm that they source from you know the one farm that they visit and we're sourcing beef from almost every single beef cattle head in the united kingdom you know with four quarter and flank at the heart of our product specification we need to source far and wide and collaborate across multiple supply chains so it's probably a slightly different model to achieve sustainability but i'd love to go back and look at your rating and see if we can perform better now that sure. our plan is in the public domain and taking shape 
To end, I just want to ask all of you what you think success looks like. What are the ways to monitor progress, especially for big corporates as they try to move to more sustainable processes? Duncan, let's start with you. Well, that's an easy one to end on, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it is a huge, huge long-term commitment of great scale that we have to abide by here across multiple sectors to try and hit a net zero obligations by 2050. And it is not going to be simple. The government's 10-point plan sets out the industries of which their initial contribution is $12 billion by the Treasury. I'm sure we might see some more coming in the spending review. And across a range of sectors, how we will make sure that we hit those targets. Now, as an MP for North Norfolk, you probably realise that I have the highest concentration of wind farms off my North Norfolk coast. So when you come on holiday to Sheringham and Cromer and Wells, you look out to sea and all you can see is is a mass of spinning windmills. And as the Prime Minister said, we're going to be the Saudi Arabia of wind. And we're not far off that. There are some enormous success stories and there are other areas which I'm highly critical of where we haven't done anywhere near enough in our built environment, for instance, to change the construction materials that we're using. And that's why I shall plug my uh, EAC inquiry into the sustainability of the built environment and trying to get us away from bricks and cement, which are dreadful for our environment. But I think what we have to continue to do is see a downward trajectory of continuous improvement. And we will have reports every few years coming out and they will say that we are not necessarily on track. But I think what we will see is a position in time where actually it will start to speed up. The transition to sustainability is accelerating. The transition for people to be using EV cars is beginning to accelerate exactly what we've talked about today on our businesses. They are accelerating their trend to decarbonising and operating in a more sustainable way. And that is what we have to monitor is how fast that transition starts to gather pace. Beth? I guess success will look like delivery of the plan, but also it's worth noting that the plan for change is dynamic. So the commitments that we've made, we are now bound to deliver them. Some of those metrics and measures already exist and we will be working to metrics and measures that are in the public domain, compatible and can be easily scrutinised and measured by others. We will report in a transparent nature and, as we said, open source all of our learnings as well as our failures in order to enable others to either move in partnership with us or follow or learn from our successes and mistakes. However, success will probably also be a plan that continues to evolve and keep pace as we gain a better understanding of some of the problems that we're facing. When you've got commitments that are as far out as 2040, the world that we're standing in now is likely to be a very different place. So we need to ensure that we're keeping pace and it's dynamic, not static. And the very last one, I guess, is that success is that the McDonald's business is relevant and sustainable to everyone that choose to eat with us, participate with us and work for us in the future. We'd love it to be a business that our crew and colleagues feel proud to work for and our customers feel absolutely proud to participate in every day. If the plan's right, that's how they'll feel about our brand today and a way into the future. And Giles. Yeah, I mean, I think this is sort of, in a way, is the simplest question that you've asked, because we measure carbon, we know what direction of travel we need to go in, and there will be a scorecard, which we will get more sophisticated at reviewing as to whether we're achieving those aims. We hope, 
as McDonald's is showing that, you know, business is taking the lead, the government is investing money to move the infrastructure forward. And if we aren't seeing enough change quickly enough, then there will need to be other policies and regulation put in place. But what I think I'm most excited about at the moment is there is a real desire by business, by consumers to want to move in positively in the direction of a net zero future. And I think actually, the more that we can push that forward voluntarily and create innovation and new solutions and new ways of doing things and working collaboratively, I think we'll actually get to net zero much faster than if it's all down to how we need to regulate markets. I'm sure there will be more regulation, but I hope that actually you'll see the speed and dynamism of change coming. My own belief is that 2040 is too far away. And I hope, and as we've seen with many companies, once they get into this process, that actually that number will probably come earlier, you know, as you realise that you can create changes quicker and that other players are in the market, it may well be that those targets might be brought forward over time. But it's really important that organisations go out, commit publicly and stand by what they're going to do and how they're going to deliver it. And that's when we'll be able to know whether we're going to achieve a net zero economy in time. But I think the future is looking good. Beth, Duncan and Giles, thank you for joining me. 